hello and welcome to the Wizards of Drivel podcast greatest games feature where our guest talks about uh, their favourite Stoke City game. Uh, making his official uh, pod debut, we've got Don Smith. Uh, we're just going to jump straight into your favourite Stoke game. Uh, we've had two Premier League wins to talk about, but we're jumping back to our championship days. Uh, Don, what game have you gone for? I've gone for, and it was a tricky one, but it's actually, it comes from my favourite season. Um, not our best season, but my personal favourite season. I think it's when I'm available for Stoke, and it's um, Leeds nil, Stoke 4. But as I said, there was a few games that season, which I think could, that would probably be in my top 10 games of all time, um, from a personal point of view. The Leeds game in particular, I just think the fact that you know we went to an unload and scored four goals, um, it was one of my first proper away games. I think I've been to Crewe away the season before, but I've never really been that far afield in terms of an away game. And um, it was made extra special as well because my best mate, um, my best school friend, who I'm still best mates with now, is a Leeds fan. And at the time, you know, it was a big deal um, stuffing them at their place. So that's the game we've gone for. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want me to just jump straight in or to that game or a bit of a context of what the build-up into that game? Uh, uh, go ahead, yeah. So this is the uh, 06-07 season. It's Pulis's first season back after the uh, boss camp season, our 100th in the Football League, coincidentally. Um, and Pulis had regalvanised the squad, but really up until this point, things weren't going well at all. No, it had been a, it had been a pretty poor start to the season. In fact... I think before the Leeds game, we hadn't we'd only won one game, mm. and the Leeds game was in the October. So we we beat Derby early on in the season, but after that, I think we'd drawn about six or seven games on the bounce. And um, I remember we we'd lost to Burnley at home. I think the previous home game was Burnley, and we lost. I remember at the end of that game, there were quite vocal cries of Pulis out. Um, you know, he hadn't had a welcome return at all. And I think it's worth remembering that at the start of his second vein, the, the fans were against him. Um, you know, this wasn't a few uh, people calling for his head. The, the only other time I can remember such vocal calls for a manager's head was at the very end of the Hughes era. Um, and possibly Rauer just before he went. But I can't remember the home, the home crowd um really turning on a manager like that, as I said, apart from maybe Hughes' last home game and possibly Bowett's last home game. So we went into the game in poor form. I think we may have even been in the relegation zone. It was a season that Leeds got relegated to one, but I think people might may have forgotten, is that Leeds were actually in poor form out of the season. They were I think they were they weren't doing brilliantly, but they they didn't look like they were going to get relegated. Um and I remember unfortunately I don't have the programme with me it's my parents' house, but I do remember an article from the pro we bought a programme on the day. And it was, and I've forgotten who the Leeds manager was. Um, uh, John Carver. Yeah, that's it. And he'd written an article in the programme sort of saying, look, today's the day to turn our season around. I think they still felt that they could get the playoffs at that point. Um, and they'd beaten Birmingham the previous game, I think. And they, I remember his programme looks very much like, we just come off the back of a good win against Birmingham. We'll kickstart the season today with a win at Stoke. Against Stoke. Mm-hmm. And so we went into the... I remember we went on the train and I, my dad was my dad was a bit hesitant to go, to be honest. I was, what, 14, 15? I thought 14 I was. 
So I think my dad was a bit like, oh God, leads away with a 14-year-old and I was a, I was a, a gobshite 14-year-old. No, I wasn't. Well, <laughs> you know, I was, I was up for uh, giving it out across the stands, which I think my dad thought, God, he's going to get his head kicked in one day. Um, so we went on the train um, and we, neither of us knew Leeds very well. Um, my dad, I mean, I'd never been before and my dad... I don't think I'd ever been to Ellen Road. I think he'd been obviously to the city of Leeds. Um, we didn't know how to get to the ground. I remember we ended up walking, and it's a bit of a trap from Leeds train station to Ellen Road. Oh, God, it is, yeah. So we were we were walking on basically the side of a dual carriageway, and we were the only people that were walking there. And I was wearing colours. So we got... Um, I've never experienced anything quite like... Pretty much every car that went past us beat the horns to uh, give us particular hand gestures. Um, as we were walking up to the stadium. So, again, we were thinking, oh, God. Um, and then, in, in the end, we actually bumped into quite a nice Leeds fan, and she showed us the way to the to the ground and what have you. And we got in there, and I remember thinking, we'll take a point here. Um, you know, a nil-nil draw would have been a good result, and we were expecting to lose, I think, if we be told. But an interesting week for the club, because the week before, we'd signed Lee Hendry on loan, who... Mm. For me, was the catalyst for what was to come in terms of the promotion and the times at stake. If you look at from him signing to the end of the Pulis era, really, we we didn't have many lose after that point. Um, it was all up from there. So he was a real catalyst. I think we drew Austin and we should have won that game the previous game. Been the star of the show, man of the match performance. So he goes to Ellen Bode, and then. Um, he pinged a free kick after seven um, and it was you know we were, in, we were in that little corner that little I think they call it the cheese wedge corner yeah. uh, we were in that corner and there weren't loads of Stoke fans there and we were like bloody hell we've gone on the up and again you, you're thinking at that point we'll, we'll, we'll take that just take the clean sheet now and we'll go home 1-0 so it was, it was bizarre really um, sort of 1-0 up and at no point feeling comfortable and I think the first half was a pretty even game from what I remember. I don't really recall us at half-time thinking, oh, wow, we're absolutely battering them. Um, they had a couple of decent chances. I think Creswell started for them that day. Um, and yeah, they, they didn't look like they were going to get relegated. And we didn't look like it. We didn't look like an amazing side, but it was, it's worth mentioning as well. It's mm. Sadie Howe and Rory Lapp's debuts for the club as well. Okay. Oh, well, uh, that's a very interesting point. And so it is a real, real landmark game, this one, uh, for Stoke City. Uh, you're quite right to mention Lee Hendry as this sort of catalyst figure who uh, really, really just sort of lifted this team. And, th- and this result is so, so significant in terms of not just this season, but sort of the context of Stoke City after that. So we go, we go from the relegation zone to uh, winning seven of our next nine. Um and it's uh, really inspired by Lee Hendry as this creative force. Ricardo Fuller is finding his feet. Um, and uh, Salif Jao is so, so underrated by Stoke fans because of this season. People forget just how massive he was in sort of uh, keeping the shape of the midfield. And then we, uh, and Pulis had, was given quite a bit of money this season. And it, it's only at this point things start to turn around for him. Higginbottom comes in, Delap comes in, Griffin comes in, Liam Lawrence comes in. All these kind of 
players, some of whom are genuine club legends now, have all come in. And uh, we end up this season missing out on the playoffs on the final game of the season. Uh, but that was just so crucial for us because we'd been this sort of club in the doldrums uh, ever since we got promoted to the championship, really. And we, we didn't look like threatening the playoffs at all until this season. And then obviously uh, promotion came next season when uh, sort of Court and Shawcross uh, came in and uh, gave that uh, team that little bit of rigidity it perhaps needed. Um so the the lineups for this game are pretty interesting. So Stoke have in goal Steve Simmonson, uh, Andy Griffin, Carl Herfkins, Dubry and Higginbottom at the back. Lee Hendry, Dave Brammer, Daryl Russell, and Peter Sweeney in the midfield. Mama Sadibi, and no, that's the wrong game. Edit that. I'm fucking. I was reading. I was reading the pressing game. They have Simmonson in goal, uh, Herfkins at right back, Dubry and Higginbottom in the middle, Griffin at left back. Uh, Hendry, Russell, Jow, and a lap in midfield. Pericard up front with Sadibi. Uh, subs not used, Bangora and Wilkinson. So we've got a little bit of a mixture still of uh, Boss Camp era players uh, like Luke Chadwick, Daryl Russell, Sambegu Bangora is still involved in the squad somehow, Dave Brammer, people like that. And then uh, you've got the, the new Pulis additions, Jow, Higginbottom, uh, Fuller, and Hendry, of course. Um, the Leeds team's pretty interesting because it's not a bad team, really. I'd, you wouldn't say this side deserved to get relegated. Sullivan, Kelly, Butler, Kilgallen. Kilgallen was a good defender. Wright, Douglas, Westlake, Derry, Lewis, Healy. Uh, David Healy was their top goal scorer that season. Robbie Blake, uh, Jeff Horsfield and Richard Creswell all played for them at some point up front. They, they were uh, stacked with strikers leads Healy, Blake, Horsfield, Creswell Jermaine Beckford is in their squad as well who would go on to be a, a good player for them and uh, uh, they also had a young Fabian Delph coming through as well so not a bad uh, squad but um, this is sort of uh, real doldrum era leads you, you mentioned they get relegated this season then they spend three seasons in League One trying to get out and they get 10 points deducted this season 15 the next season so the club's on a real downward spiral Carver is the second manager out of three this season before they get in Dennis Wise so god help them but um yeah it's a it's a real sort of start of the the Stoke City upswing so um a, a sublime free kick to open us from Lee Hendry what was it that made Hendry so vital do you think what what was it about Hendry that made him such a significant player the speed and the first touch for league players, I think, is what difference often between a good championship player and a Premier League player. It's the first touch and it's the speed. And he came into that side and I remember his debut against Preston. And all of a sudden, we had a midfielder who seems to be, seemed to be the first of the ball. His touch was excellent. And he opened up as a team. And he had that creative spark. If you think about traditional Pulis sides, Hendry was not a Pulis midfielder. Um, you know, he wasn't one that would sit in the cage, as, as Pew has called it. Um, mm. And I know he, he sort of put him out round. Um, but I think just a bit of... He just had that creative spark, and he had that sort of arrogance about him, where he knew he was the best player on the pitch. I think if you look at of, um, some of our best players, and, and certainly in, in my lifetime, you know, you look at Arnautovic, you look at even Nick Powell, the second half of this season... They have that swagger, that arrogance, which often winds fans up, including, obviously, our own fans. But actually, I think a team needs that because then it allows 
the workhorses to do their job. You know, Brammer and Russell, they weren't bad players, um, but they weren't that creative spark that we needed. So I think for, for me, Hendry sort of allowed all of a sudden Russell and Brammer and central midfielders to do their job. So, and when Dial came in, and he provided that spark. And what makes me laugh about the Leeds game is we scored four, but we started Sadibi and Pericard up front. And, you know, they're two strikers which you wouldn't associate with a side that would go away from home and score four goals. So I think just, just that little bit of quality and a bit of excitement. It felt, it felt like perhaps since Hoekstra, we hadn't had a player that, had, mm. that could get fans off the seats. And then... It was just before Fuller had really hit his form. I think Fuller had only played a couple of games for us at that point. So I think, yeah, it was it was a massive week, I think, in general. And I think the 4-0 result is sort of captures how perfect a week it was for the club. But, you know, as we sort of talked about, we signed Delap and Diaw in the same week. They made the debut at Leeds. Delap then broke his leg three or four days later against Sunderland. It was the midweek game against Sunderland. But again, to beat Sunderland at home, you know... That really lifted the crowd. And as you said, we then went on a really good run after that. I think I think we may have lost to Southampton. But other than that, we went until December without a loss. And I think that that four win at Leeds perhaps just lifted the players. You know, we absolutely thumped them. And it was a real team effort. You know, it was four, you know, uh, Higginbottom and Griffin got on the score sheet in the second half. So we came out in the second half and I think... Griffin scored mm. the second. It was a good strike from the edge of the box. So, obviously, when you're the home side and you're 2-0 down just inside the second half, obviously the fans starting to turn. I know Leeds, as I said, they weren't quite in the relegation form at that point, but you could tell that, obviously, the Ellen Road crowd, it was only a couple of years in the Premier League, a bit like ourselves now. I think the expectation of the Leeds fans was, we turn up and we win. We beat these teams like historically going over the Championship. So, we turned outside of the fans. And then three or minutes later, Higgins did from a corner. And I think you look at good away performances, often teams, if you can get two goals in quick succession away from you, obviously that's massive. Their heads dropped. And I think I think you then, the game, the game was probably won. I don't think, obviously, a Stoke fans we felt confident with half an hour left that the game was won. But you look back and you think, yeah, the game the game was won. And... Um, it was just comfortable and I had a away end. It was it was the mm. first sort of proper Stoke away end I think I'd experienced in like a party atmosphere where we were winning and everyone was just enjoying themselves and it was like it was quite a nice day and it was just great. We could just enjoy it and then they got a penalty in the 80th minute, I think, and Simmonson saved it and again, it just, at that point, we definitely knew we were going to win and it just, it just felt like all of a sudden that there was this team here that, that it entertained us. We'd gone away from home and they'd not ground out a result. They'd actually entertained us and every single man in that team had, had done a job. I mean, Jubilee shithoused their fans because obviously they, they didn't like him with the whole uh, Lee Bowyer incident. So he got a lot of stick and, you know, you could just tell that the players were up for it and that after that game, it was I think it was the first sort of game yeah. I remember coming back and I think it was because it was an away game where I was like, wow, this is, this is great. This is worth sort of the crap that we put up with. Um, and, it, you know, again, it's easy to forget, but Leeds were only, I think it was only their second or third season out of the Premier League, and they'd lost in the playoff final the season before. They weren't, at that stage, a side that you would expect to go and win at. Um, 
And then, as I said, it was followed up with the Sunderland performance. I think we beat Cardiff at home a couple of weeks later. And for me, it was it was just just a brilliant time to to really get into get into. And as I said, I think it's not a shame, obviously, because we got promoted the next season. But I actually think that there were some results that season that were better than the promotion season. Uh, further down the seat, further down the line, we went to Hawthorns and we were three and up after twenty minutes. Um, I think I think the thing that that cost us was basically that we were probably a little bit too late to get these these players in. You know, the likes of Lawrence. I don't think he joined for another until November time. I think if we if we the, the squad we finished with, if we'd had that at the start of the season, we'd have been knocking on the door of automatic promotion. I think I think that 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 Paul won at the start of the season cost us the playoffs that year and I know that Higginbottom in his autobiography says that actually he felt by the end of the season we were the best side in the league I think Derby got promoted that season and they won the playoffs and we went to Pride Park and won 2-0 we did the double over Derby that got promoted we did the double over West Brom and we got to the playoff final you know we we were matching these these good teams and I I think the downfall for us, as I said, was the start of the season and there was a few games in the bunny where we got a bit nervy and um, we bottled a couple of games. I think we let in a last-minute equaliser at Cardiff. Yeah, and then a, uh, a whole next game as well, we let in another last-minute yeah. equaliser. Yeah, um, yeah, it was Nicky Barnby, wasn't yeah, it? And, um, you know, that was big in the delegation fight. I think that sort of pretty much confirmed Leeds were on their way down. So, I think, unfortunately... Because of the the poor start and a couple of results where we just tripped up, obviously we didn't we we didn't go up in the next season we did. But for me, there were more enjoyable games um, in that season that I went to. I, in the promotion season. I missed a couple of the the sort of big classic games like the Wolves game. So that's perhaps why I view the o six o seven season more favourably. But I just yeah, it was. I think it was the first season I, I'd had. Where I was old enough to properly understand football, the ins and outs of it. I'd be, only been sort of primary school when we'd been in League One, and the, we'd had a couple of seasons in Championship where we just looked like doing nothing, to be honest. I know, obviously, the, the first season up, we, we'd struggled to stay up, and Pulis had saved us. The Boss Camp season was a bit of a write off. So, for me, the, the, the Leeds game, the reason why I think it's my favourite, is it, it sort of sums up that season for me of, of just being enjoyable. Um, yeah, and as you said, it was it was the starting point of a, a couple of you know we signed some club legends and some cult heroes that season. Um, it was Fuller's first season, Delap's first season, Lawrence's first season. I know Higginbottom was sold at the end of that season to Sunderland, but he came back. You know, the, those are players now, which you know for our generation, it's it's the equivalent of the of the '72 side or, or that that mid '70s side for, for my dad's generation. So. I think that's why it's my favourite season. I think it's because that was when I first got to watch those players, and they were they were some some good results. And the season is forgotten about because it was rightly topped by obviously a much more successful season. Sorry, uh, there's a there's a few things uh, that you've talked about there that um, are sort of worth revisiting. Uh, going back to Lee Hendry, you mentioned uh, his arrogance there and uh, sort of having that bit of swagger on the pitch. Um, that sort of manifests itself in telling a Colchester player he can wash his Ferrari after the game. And I think it may even have been Higginbottom who said the fact Lee Hendry was turning up at training in a Ferrari was like 
oh shit, this is this is a big time player now. There's a big there's a big time player playing for us, and it sort of maybe motivated a few of the the squad players to to think actually. You know, we could re- we could really go to the Premier League, get our own Ferraris if uh, if if this uh, if this continues. Um, Leeds, uh, yeah, you mentioned there, just not um, not really recovering from this point. They go on to lose uh, the next home game at Les- uh, home to Leicester, and then lose five one away at Luton Town, which is a absolutely a shocking result. And Luton Town may have even have gone down with them. Let me just check. Yeah, Luton Town go down in twenty third. So. Losing five one there is a bit of a disaster for them, and uh, but like you say, uh, the the four nil win is significant not only in terms of it sort of being that starting gun on the set, the second era of Pulis, but it's also um, it's just I think it could have been against I don't know Colchester or Luton, but it sort of matters more when it's you know a big club, even a big club in crisis. It's lovely it's lovely to get those landmark results at Leeds United. I noticed watching the um replays um the away end at Leeds is different to where it is now. It, you're out in that corner uh but now they've moved uh, so you're more sort of adjacent with the pitch. I went there f- for my first away game this season uh, with Stoke for the playoff uh, not the playoff the uh, league cup penalty shootout game and that was it's a, it's a cr- it's a cracking ground Ellen Road it's really really good but uh, only 18,000 in attendance uh, for this game uh, was it 18,000 or I... it was low i remember there being a lot of empty seats i think yeah 18,000 if you sort of cast your mind back to perhaps sort of Stoke earlier this season maybe not this season but perhaps it's the early days under Rowett, where we weren't ever going to go down under Rowett. Yeah. But the expectations were we should be going for promotion and we looked absolutely nowhere like a side that we're going to make the playoffs. And I think that's how Leeds fans felt going into the Stoke game. I think at that point they weren't quite at crisis point. So, you mm. know, for us it was a win at a big club. And at that point they weren't in crisis. Okay, they weren't having the best of times, but for us, we—I didn't think we'd view, you know, if we'd played them perhaps a couple of months later, perhaps we'd have gone, oh yeah, we can go there and get result. They're in a mess. But I think for them it was a bit of a, a wake-up call as well. I remember coming out out of the ground, you know, I talked about before the game, sort of the hostile atmosphere that these fans give any visitors. Coming out of the ground, I remember actually my dad made me take my Stoke shirt off. Um, which normally you wouldn't have done. And I think, again, we were just worried that, you know, you'd get the odd idiot that would perhaps come up to us and, and say something. And I, I remember walking out the ground, actually, and, and this big Yorkshire bloke, perfectly friendly, but he came up to us, he said, when are your lot going to score four again this season? Like, making out that it had been a bit of a fluke result. And the irony mm. of it all was it probably was a fluke result for us, but it wasn't a fluke result for them for the rest of the season. As you said, they went and lost 5-1 at least in a couple of weeks later. So, they... I think what makes it perhaps more, even more iconic for me as well, as I said, my, my best mate's a Leeds fan. And at that point, it was very much, a, I remember, you know, his, his line was, have you ever seen your side playing the Premier League? Have you ever seen your side playing the Champions League? And admittedly, I can't say yes to the, the second one. But, you know, it, it was still OK. Stoke and Leeds at that point were in the same division, but it was still very much Leeds are the big side. Leeds are the ones that are going to go back to the Premier League first. And then, and then the irony of it all was, of course... He then had to, he's then had to suffer 15, 16 years of watching Leeds out of the top flight. And whereas 
I spent the majority of that time since watching us in the top flight. So I think sort of on a personal level, that sort of, you know, it's, it's a bit, if you'd said to either of us at the time as 14-year-olds, Stoke are going to have a more successful next 10, 15 years. I don't think either of us would have really believed it. Um, so, yeah, I remember we were like, bloody hell, we won 4-0 at Ellen Road. Um, and it was, but it then went, then went on to just be a really enjoyable season. There were some great, you know, we thrashed some of the teams that, you know, we see ourselves as rivals, but, you know, we stuffed Cardiff at home and it was still very much in the era where there was that sort of tension between Stoke and Cardiff. Um, yeah. West Brom, yeah. West um, Brom as well. You know, beat Leeds in the return fixture as well. Um, and yeah, we, as I said, we had some really, really good results that season. So for me, it was it was very enjoyable, and it, it, I think it was a shame we didn't make the playoffs. Um, I think we'd have won them actually. I think if we had if we had next six spot, um, I think I think we would have won them. Um, we'd have gone we've gone up against Derby, who we'd beaten twice that season if we'd finished yeah. six on the last day. So. You know, maybe we'd have gone up to a season too soon. I don't know. Maybe it was a blessing in disguise. Well, perhaps it was a blessing in disguise that we, we had to wait another year to go up. But for me, I think that was the real injustice. And as I said, Higginbottom touches on upon it in his autobiography. He says that he believes we were the best team in the division by the end of that season. And he believes we would have won the playoffs as well. And I think it's interesting that, you know, that we had a player like Higginbottom who was reluctant to leave for the Premier League side because you could see what was being built at the club. And perhaps, I don't think any of us really saw it at the time, mm. being perfectly honest. I don't remember going into the next the season we got promoted thinking we would get promoted. Um, there was perhaps a bit of optimism that we could make the playoffs or challenge the playoffs again. But I think at the time, I felt like that had been the opportunity missed. I think I was thinking, mm, are we really going to be this good again? Especially when Higginbottom left at the start of the next season. Yeah, um, I think there is partly reason we didn't get into the playoffs or uh, automatic places was it was still trying to uh, it was still sort of in transition a little bit as well. Um, so we've still got these Boss Gampira players who perhaps aren't really Pulis's cup of tea just yet. Um, if you look at the goals, actually the goals are really interesting because they're really sort of spread around. Ricardo follows our top scorer with ten. Sadibi's got nine. Park in three. Uh, then you've got guys like Herfkins, Clint Hill still there scoring. Um, Daryl Russell gets seven. Luke Chadwick gets three. Andy Griffin gets two. Liam Lawrence gets five. You know, it's really sort of spread across the um, the squad. And you've got uh, those those two games uh, in April were an absolute killer for us in terms of reaching the playoffs because we're on such a great run of form. And that the, the last seven games, we win four and draw three, which is usually good enough form to get you where you need to go in the championship. We'd beaten Leicester 4-2, West Brom 3-1, Palace 2-1. And then we have away at Cardiff. Carl Herfkins scores his second goal of the season. And both Carl Herfkins' goals this season, which would turn out to be his final one at the club, both of those are absolute beautiful volleys he he had a he had a great sort of half volley on him Carl Erfkins so not only did Cardiff score in the last minute but there was an opportunity where Ricardo Fuller squared it to Martin Patterson who had a goal gaping and, and fluffed it 
Um, I don't think he played for us again, really, Pato. But uh, yeah, that was a, a devastating loss. And then a week later, we have a last-minute equaliser against us uh, for Hull as well. So we we have those sort of really gut-wrenching moments to to rue that uh, possibility off. But the, like you say, I do think we would have beaten Derby. This is the Derby team that goes on to be the worst team in Premier League history. Um, and it, it was just a sense of one more result, one more... Uh, uh, win would have perhaps taken us over. We draw the final game of the season with playoffs still a possibility. We'd have had to have won that, I think, three or four, you know, by uh, sort of mathematics to to make it. But yeah, just the sense of we're not quite there yet. We've got Ryan Shawcross and Leon Court and Glenn Whelan to come in next season. Uh, Richard Creswell, of course, uh, who is playing for Leeds on the bench this game. Um, so. Like I say, this is a, a big, big turning point. But just to go back to the game again, the, three of these goals are absolutely beautiful. They're fantastic goals that we scored uh, this game. Um, Andy Griffin Higgin, uh, and Higginbottom, both defenders on the score sheet. And then Rick, I don't know why Rick is on the bench and Vincent Pericard is starting, but they can't have been long after this. Mm. I don't think he's fit, Dave. I think if I remember rightly. We, we signed him in the summer. I think we signed him in the August. And he didn't start the game for us until the Preston game, which had been the game before we scored it, I think. I could be wrong on that, but I remember him starting the game until the Preston game. And I think at that point, there was still a massive question mark about his injury prone, this guy. And I, think, I don't think he was fully fit. And I think, you know, you, you look back on how Pulis used to set up away from home. And I think Pulis saw Fuller at that point as a luxury player. Um, you know, he hadn't worked with him for long and he'd had fitness problems. So I think that's why he was, you know, and obviously I, I can't remember if he started against Sunderland, but I think Pulis's thinking was probably, like our thinking, was, we'll take the point at Ellen Bode. I don't think Pulis set us up to go out there and thrash him 4 0. As you said, three of the goals were excellent strikes. One was a free kick, um, one was right at the end, which was obviously Fuller's. In about the 88th minute, and I think at that point Leeds had just given um, and an Andy Griffin strike, and it it's, it's just made me realise as well that that was the same season that Griffin scored that absolute worldie in the fog against Coventry. Um, so yeah, I think you know even even players like Griffin, you know, he'd been a player that we'd sold to Newcastle before I'd started going, and you sort of heard about how good he'd been. And then to re-sign him back and to see this, you know, this left back who was actually pretty decent at that level. Again, you you sort of take it for granted now of all the players we've seen. But actually, Griffin um, was he was good for us in the championship. I think unfortunately is he, he lost a yard of pace, which meant he couldn't play in the Premier League, and that's why perhaps and obviously the the full of incident um, sort of clouds over that time. But that that season that he was on loan to us from Newcastle, um, again, you know, it was a cut above what we'd seen, or what our generation, I think, had seen before in terms of quality at Stoke. Yeah, and you've got guys like Herfkins, who what was real, real quality Carl Herfkins. He, and you, this is, um, he, you, you got a sense he had a bit of a fractious relationship with uh, Pulis. And Pulis kept talking on the radio about how his, his kiddies were keeping him up at night and uh, stuff. And so it was a, a bit of a strange relationship those two had. But he was a, a fantastic right back and a really good uh, 
penalty specialist as well. And this, this, I think this is a theme of or like some of the new influx of players as well. We were a lot better at dead ball situations than we've been in ages. We had uh, Higginbottom and Herfkins who what fought over a penalty in the Norwich game, and then you've got Lee Hendry who, as shown in this game, can take a free kick free kick then we signed Liam Lawrence as well so we're getting that little bit more quality we're getting that sort of real jump in terms of uh, okay we know Pulisade's going to be well drilled and all the rest of it but we're adding that sort of finishing touch and that's reflected in the results uh, you know winning games by scoring four sometimes five um, so yeah a, a remarkable turning point because as you say as uh, Pulis is massively under pressure and there was a, the red card protest after he, in, he sort of um, initially re-signed that sort of fiddle, uh, uh, fizzled away to nothing. Who was that in game? I, I might have been. for the Preston game. And I think actually, again, another point on the Lee Hendry signing was I think that the signing of Lee Hendry had put a temporary pause on the red card protest. It was all geared up and we signed Hendry. We probably signed him on the Wednesday or the Thursday before the game. And we signed him, and everyone thought, oh, bloody hell, that, that is actually, for the time, again, there used to be that, that phrase that was always banned, the rock the city signing. And I think he was, you know. I think, you know, I remember thinking, I think I think I was at that age where I followed the top Premier League clubs out of interest and was a Stoke fan, but didn't know much about anyone else. So often when we signed the player, I knew very little about them because obviously we usually sign them from another championship club or a League One club. Um, and all of a sudden we signed this player who, hang on a minute, I've seen him on match of the day. You know, so as daft as it sounds, I think he was that got the City signing. And I think people then thought, oh, hang on a minute, OK. Because I think people were protesting that Pulis hadn't done anything in the transfer market and he kept talking about irons in the fire and, you know, or, or that, but nothing came of it. And then all of a sudden, he, he pulled the, the Hendry sign out of the bag. I think that pe- that made people sit up and notice. And this game, again, Hendry came, I think even the first 10, 15 minutes as well, Hendry was like, clearly, had shoulders of on the pitch. And I think that's about, and I think, I know we, we, we drew the game in the end, but I think there was a sense after the game that, that we deserved to win and we'd played well. So actually, I think on that red card protest, again, I think the Lee Hendry signing was the catalyst. It had gone from Pulis out, Pulis negative football to, hang on a minute, we could be quite good here. And then we beat Leeds 4-0. And you mentioned the Norwich game there where obviously Hufkins and Higginbottom had fought over the penalty. Yeah, we won 5-0. And I think, you know, we, we associate Pulis's football, you know, certainly outsiders associate Pulis's football as being dull. And it wasn't until we established ourselves in the Premier League that we started playing good football under him. But I think that's a little bit of injustice to our time in the Championship as well. I think, you know, the season we got promoted and the season before, we had some big wins, you know, scoring three, four, five goals from Pommern for Pulis side when we were in the Championship, the, the latter Pulis sides in the Championship. So, again, uh, before before those signings, the thought of scoring three, four, five goals, again, didn't seem plausible. Um so, yeah, you reminded me there, actually, about, about the red card protest. For me, it, yeah, I think it was a massive week for the club. Um, you forget as well that this season we um, we thought perhaps the Rock the City signing was going to be Patrick Berger, who we got on loan from uh, Aston Villa, but only started one game and made six uh, substitute appearances. So uh, sort of uh, getting the sense that, oh, we can attract you know players we've heard of now. Um, 
Yeah, the the January window is a bit weird. We get in guys like uh, Jonathan Fortune, Gabriel Zakawani, Lee Martin, Don Matteo. Uh, so really uh, odd mix of, uh, of players. But this you get, but it's going back to that sort of evolution of the club thing. So Dubry leaves. Dubry, who had been captain, left for Reading, and then Higginbottom, who was just a new signing, came in as captain. So it's a it's a real sort of chopping and changing of the squad. Like guys like Bangora actually play this season, but he's on his way out. And uh, people like uh, Marlon Brooms are still in the squad, but he's sort of disappearing. Um, so we're getting this sort of real uh, sort of overhaul of the squad, if you like. Uh, just a, a few more points I want to touch on. Uh, Steve Simonson was really good at saving pens from memory. Yeah, we, we, it's, it's weird, isn't it? I, I always felt like we had a good record on penalties um, in that era. Um, I know, obviously, the last couple of years have been a bit of a disaster and it looks like Touchwood, we finally sort of come out with that, that curse of missing every penalty. We still not, I still can't remember the last time a team missed one against us. But yeah, Simonson, um, it's strange. I, I always Simonson always struck me as a, as a, as a top championship keeper and it was interesting really that he, he did have a poor run of form in the promotion season which obviously saw us bringing Carlo Nash in the end but I was thought he was reliable um you know I didn't I didn't ever remember thinking he was a, a bad goalkeeper um and yeah his penalty saves you know I think yeah you think you're right there was there was a couple um certainly that Leeds one sticks out um yeah I just it was you know, as a likeable Stoke side, as you said, you just named some of the players that were on the way out. I mean, I, I like Jubilee, but I appreciate perhaps he wasn't the best centre-half. Um, but, you know, I think, I think like you said, like the likes of Marlon Brooms and Bangor and, you know, Sweet Peter Sweeney, who I think you'd said had started, you know, they just weren't, they weren't the standard of player that we were bringing in. And as you said, you know, like Don Matteo, he didn't play a great deal of games for the club. Um... But you just think he'd been in Liverpool and Leeds Champions League dressing rooms. And I think, you know, Kulis was always big on that, wasn't he? About, you know, bringing in the right characters. And I guess Mattia would have been that for us. And you don't really see that. I don't know if you remember, but we had a young lad, a Hungarian player, I think it was Adam Bass. And, you know, I remember there were a lot of Stoke fans that were like, oh, why won't Pulis play Vass? He won't bring through this young quality player. And actually, you look back in hindsight and think, you know, Adam Vass probably, I don't think he really did anything with his career. I don't recall him doing anything with his career uh, of no, of playing in any top flights or anything. So you look back and you think, actually, Pulis, Pulis knew what he was doing um, despite all of our protests. Um, because I think it's worth pointing out, Pulis still wasn't popular at the end of that season. He got a lot of criticism for us not making the playoffs. You know, he was criticised for the whole game where we let in the last minute equalise in the Cardiff game because it was seen as it was a typical Pulis defending a one-goal lead. Um, so, yeah, but I think actually as you said, it was building the foundations for something better. And I don't think any Stoke fan really envisaged what was to come. I think you more optimistic fans probably thought, OK, we'll make the playoffs next season. But I still think the majority of Stoke fans thought it was a bit of a one-off season. Um, and that Pulis, if anything, I think there was still still some fancy fact that Pulis had got lucky rather than Pulis was building something. So, 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, Adam Vass, by the way, he played uh, 130 games for Brescia and has 11 Hungarian caps, so he's, he did all right. Um, uh, and, and another thing is sort of, maybe it's just an insignificant result in the grand scheme of things, but in that sort of dodgy opening spell of the season, we lose at home to Darlington in the League Cup and a 10-man Darlington side as well. Uh, Pericard opens the score, scoring and, and we get embarrassed by a team who wouldn't even properly exist very soon after. Um, uh, I really like the kit as well. I really like that away kit we were wearing that season with a sort of... It was a sort of weird sort of red patch on the sleeve, but it was a, a lovely uh, black kit. And I remember getting name and number on the back and I, there was a lovely gold trim to the numbers as well um which i i enjoy for some reason and uh yeah it's just massively massively significant game uh, this one so before we uh, wrap up uh, is there anything else you want to mention about either this season or this team or this game in particular no not really i think as i said i just think it it was worth talking about because i think you know, you see stuff on Twitter, people talk about the promotion season, rightly so, and people talk about more recent years. And for, for me, it's a season that just isn't mentioned much. And I think, as I said, it's because it, we, we won promotion the next season, then we had, you know, 10 Premier League seasons. So I can understand why it would be down fans' pecking orders. But I think, actually, if you look back on it, there were some really enjoyable games. And, you know, it's just really for me to sort of go back to that sort of teenage nostalgia of, of first following Stoke. And, um, yeah... It was it was just enjoyable for me, and I felt like it's a season which perhaps when people get talking about it, they go, actually, yeah, it was a good season, uh, but people perhaps forget about it. Um, so yeah, there's nothing much more for, for me to add to that, um, other than I think it was an iconic one in our history, and was definitely one worth talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dom, thank you very much for appearing uh, officially for the first time on the Wizards of Drivel. Uh, Thank you very much. Cheers. See you later. Go on, Stoke.